local Sarge. It's not much fun being stuck here, is it, Sarge? Stuck here in this lonely, far-flung outpost of the once proud British Empire, upon whom the sun is slowly setting, with only a tin of bully beef and an old crap record of zero in for comfort. Not like home, eh, Sarge? Not like the old Marlin Road with all the lads chatting up the birds, swinging down the jelly deals and listening to the radio. Oh, the dear old BBC. Oh, cool, I couldn't ask you a bundle on a genuine old English radio comedy show for a few laughs. Not the good old days back home, eh, Sarge? Eh, Sarge? <laughs> yes, Colonel. <laughs> The Lonely Hearts Half Har with Tim Rook Taylor, John Cleese, Graham Garden, David Hatch, Joe Kendall, and Bill Oddie. So here with his world chattering news is the voice of them all, John Otto Cleese. It's Anthony Ali that again. Again. <laughs> this is the animal service of the BBC. Here is the news read by Alva Hippopotamus. <laughs> a firm of giraffes has landed a five million pound contract to clean the windows of the new post office tower. <laughs> a spokesman for the firm said, I don't want to stick my neck out, but it's quite a tall order. <laughs> the inhabitants of Croydon will sleep easier tonight following the capture of the animal that was terrorizing the neighborhood with blood-curdling roars. It was thought at first to be a rutting stag, but was finally identified as a mouse. Its voice had broken. <laughs> the three chickens who last week attacked a tube train as it came above ground at Hammersmith were in court today. They said in their defense they thought it was a very large worm. <laughs> Terence, England's oldest mayfly, died today, soon after celebrating 100 seconds of married life. He leaves a widow and two larvae. <laughs> the big freeze. Following today's unexpected snowstorm, three brass monkeys have been rushed to hospital. <laughs> Sport. The bullfighting season today ended in Madrid with a thrilling victory for Scottish champion bull, Angus. He was awarded the Matador's ears. Finally, here are two police messages. Early this morning, the police were investigating reports of what was thought to be a man-eating tiger in Regent's Park. They discovered, however, that it was only a man-eating cucumber sandwiches. <laughs> and lastly, it is reported from Whipsnade that a baby kangaroo is missing. Would anyone who visited the zoo today please turn out their pockets? <laughs> And now we join Hans and Grotty Smith on their Red Sea Safari. Good evening. Grotty and I have just returned from six months together <laughs> under the Red Sea. Yes. Hans and I for six months together under the Red Sea. Yes, both of us under the Red Sea. For six months. We are going to tell you about some of the things that happened to us underwater together for six months. <laughs> But only some of the things. Because six 
months is a long time. A very long time. Especially underwater. Roddy, six months with you is a long time anywhere. Here on the film, you can see me playing with our pets. Yes, and here are our water scorpions. Although they are too small, they weigh 140 pounds. Yes, I like a heavy pet. Uh-huh. <laughs> and here you can see Grotty sitting on the poop. <laughs> Notice how the foreign hands gather to help me. I'm noticing, Grotty, I'm noticing. Ah, here I am in the middle of the ship, putting lead weight on my feet so that I can submerge. And here you see Hans taking it off again so that he can walk to the edge of the ship. I gleefully push one of our dark-skinned native boys into the water and he gleefully wriggles out of the sack. Soon, soon I slip overboard. One of the joys of being underwater is that there is complete silence. Even Grotti has to keep quiet. We communicate down there purely by signs, and there you see Grotti telling me that we have two minutes of oxygen left. <laughs> While underwater, we frolic happily in this element, except for a short period when it rains, and we return to the boat for tea. Now it is time for us to get out of our costumes, and the boys all rush to the assistance of Grotti. <laughs> turn round, we spy a huge white whale, which we instantly name after the famous novel, Rebecca of Sunnybrook Farm. <laughs> but imagine our dismay when we realize that Jonah, our faithful cabin boy, is in the water, fetching the walking stick that I have thrown for him. The whale is making straight for Jonah. I'm afraid it's the old story. What can we do? Two days later, Hans immediately volunteered to go to Jonah's rescue. Alas, I am too late. I call to Grotti to join me in the water. And then we see it, a gigantic water mouth. We must return to the ship at once. But look, snap! Ah, a big clam has closed over Grotti's foot. As the giant water mouth with jaws akimbo moves towards Grotti, I hurriedly swim back to the ship for more film. I am trapped in the water with only two hours oxygen. This is where we must leave, Grotty, until next week. I hope then that I shall be returning with more film. And I hope then that I shall be returning. Goodbye. And that recorded broadcast, Hans and Grotty Smith were played by Armand and Michaela Dennis. <laughs> And now it's time for another exceedingly boring song from Bill Oddie, B.A. and the boys. So take it away, Dwarf. I'm not good looking. I'm not too smart. I may be foolish, but I've got a heart. I love the flowers. I love the sun. But when I try to love the girl, they laugh at me and run. Don't laugh at me, cause I'm a fool. I know 
you probably didn't realize that babies talk long before we think they do. The following conversation is typical of many to be heard outside these supermarkets up and down the country. Morning, Johnny. Morning, Hugh. So your mother's been giving you beef broth again, then? You're covered in it. Terrible, isn't it? <laughs> such a messy feeder. What's that stain on your bib? Fish and macaroni. Uh, I thought I recognized it. That was supposed to be my breakfast. She'd run out of cereal. Uh, I asked you. I spit it out every time. She will go on giving it to me. I tell you, she's no idea. Uh, Has she changed my nappy? Has she no, changed your nappy? Hang on, here comes Cyril and his ghastly mother. Oh, Come yeah. on, scream, everyone. You can't talk. Look at all those matinee jackets you've got on. What's the matter? <laughs> Granny's staying. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> Granny. Yes, yes. I had to scream like mad this morning to make her take a stupid great shawl off me. And look at these mittens. How am I supposed to suck my thumb? <laughs> well, what's new with you, Hugh? Well, oh, I saw my father last week. Funny-looking bloke. Really? <laughs> Just throwing me up the air and laughing. <laughs> Strange sense of humour right after fish and macaroni. Well, oh, they're all out of their minds. At least he doesn't feed you like my old man. Yesterday, just because I was a little slow, he gave it to the cat when Mother wasn't watching. Oh. Look out, here comes your mother again, Cyril. Everybody scream. Do not, little baby, be not setting you sweetie pie, poor thing. I won't be very long now. I'm just going to the chemist to get you a dum-dum. Get lost, silly old bag. Some poison. Hey! I'm getting christened next week. You're how about that? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I did that weeks ago. Oh, Everybody came, I got soaked, and they had a party. <laughs> you know what they call me? Yeah. Hugh Reginald Humphreys. H R H, you see, very clever. Very clever, very clever. Mother's idea, she's a shocking snob. She thinks I look better than Prince Edward. Please. Classic pants are killing me. Now, now, I must tell you, I must tell you, I had a laugh last week. Mother's been trying to teach me for weeks to say nanny. How <laughs> oh, embarrassing. So just after my bath, I gave her a big smile and said, Auntie Dory. <laughs> I've been looking after museums for 30 years now. Seen some pretty goings on, I can tell you. There's one now. Stop it! Filthy beast. <laughs> Half an hour looking at them Greek statues and they're all at it. Of <laughs> you know, I've watched a lot of people come in here, then I've watched them going out again. All except the bloke with the bowler hat two years ago. I watched him go in. He never came out. <laughs> Most people think he got lost in the Minoan labyrinth, but I have a sneaking suspicion he fell in the Byzantine pot. Was that night, when I was closing up, I heard a small voice shout, Help! I'm the bowler at this bloke, and I've fallen in the Byzantine pot! <laughs> Don't like to go in the Byzantine room now. I always seem to hear scratching noise. <laughs> then, of course, there was 
was a time three mad nuns tried to sacrifice the curator's budgie on the model of Stonehenge. Of course, whilst they were dancing about, it flew off straight into that Grecian statue over there, shattered it into a thousand Grecian fragments. Anyway, next day, some bloke put it together again. Took him 14 years. And they found it was a fake, so he came in here next night and smashed it again. Next day, they found new evidence to prove it was genuine. Still comes in here from time to time, that chap. Gibbering. Made a small mistake myself once, you know, sitting here one night, a bloke walks past carrying a large brown paper parcel. What you got in there, I asked him. Portrait of the Duke of Wellington, he says. <laughs> For one of them saucy types. Oh, glad that's going, I said. Never did like it. Carry on. <laughs> Thank you, he says. Ever so polite. They gave me 14 days dust in the dinosaur for that. <laughs> One flick and it fell to bits. Mind you, I'll put it together again somehow. It's called a pterodactyl now. <laughs> of course, you know, the worst time I ever had was when a fella brought his wife in to be mummified. I said, we can't do it, mate. We only put them on show. They're putting her in the prehistoric room tomorrow in the same case as Neanderthal man. Don't know what they hope to achieve by that. <laughs> anyway, can't sit here all day. Oh, I don't know that. I suppose I could. I'm sorry I'll read that again. Report. Each year at Bank Holiday, we hear stories of violence and rioting. This is a story about violence and rioting. <laughs> Last year, it was teenage mods and rockers. This year, a new menace shook the nation as marauding gangs of... Old folk converged on the East Coast Resort. Terrorizing youngsters, scattering newspapers, and digging up beaches. They call themselves... Day Trippers. They're divided into two strongly rival factions, men and women. They're easily distinguished by their distinctive styles of dress. The men in blazers, grey flannels, and white shirts open to the neck, and handkerchiefs cruelly knotted on their heads. Women in print skirts and white blouses, semi-transparent, so that two or three sets of brass straps are clearly visible. They call this weird gear their summer outfit. These are the same people who spend their evenings in smoky public houses or women's institutes, or just sitting at home watching violence on the television. Many of them take alarming quantities of beer or stout, quite openly. I saw one old man throw a dart through the board and both walls of the ladies' room and into a passerby on the pavement outside. <laughs> That's how far it's gone. That's how far it's gone, but make no mistake. The old folk are here to stay. Theirs is a decadent cult based on hero worship. Wilfred Pickles, Maurice Chevalier, and the bachelors. But it's spreading. Some sociologists see it as a rebellion against teenage domination. Others as a development of the deadbeat age. They put their feelings in their music. Songs that are protesting, anarchic, bad. To end our report, let's hear a song from the daddy of the old age rebellion. Following up his last hit, 19th rheumatic symptom, it bells pop art himself with the hound. Living on my old age, 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 living on my
what people say. I'll smoke three cigarettes a day. I'll stay out till eleven and, and I'm in bed till half past seven. You see me coming, step aside, cause I've got trousers two foot wide. I can sing wherever I go. and inter-county basket weaving. But, but first, a long, cool look at Maria Bueno. <laughs> and second, swimming, and over to our commentator on the spot, Otto Cleese. Welcome to the Somerset Swimming Championships at the Empire Pool, Bradford. You've joined us in the middle of the diving event where John Jones has just taken the lead with a perfect double tuck and tight triple somersault reverse. Reverse. And now, for his speciality dive, Joe Willie is going to try something we don't often see from the 150-meter board. A belly flop. <laughs> Absolutely perfect. Absolutely perfect. Well, that's the sort of dive you only do once in a lifetime. <laughs> and now, let's go over to the kiddies race the crawl. And I think they're all ready there, yes. Uh, one. I'm one. Two. I'm two. Three. I'm three. Go. Sure. <laughs> oh, well, all right then. Now, over to the men's freestyle. Oh, come on, Maisie, give it to me. Come on, darling, take off your mitten. Since you can't be... Since you can't be trusted in the freestyle, we'd better move on to the... Uh, no, perhaps this is a, a good moment to leave swimming and to return to Eamon Liversort in the World of Sports studio. Well, one might say everything is going swimmingly there. Or one might not. But knowing me, I probably would. And now, over to the White City and Norris McSquirter. Welcome to the White City, where we've had a very exciting afternoon's athletics. Probably the outstanding performance so far has been by the Russian ladies' shot put champion, who has just won the men's shot put. <laughs> A sad note, however, for British sports fans, Henry Griddle, our ten-time 60-yard hurdles champion, fell at the fourth hurdle and had to be shot. <laughs> One of the sensations of the afternoon has come from the African javelin champion who earlier refused to throw his javelin because, as he himself put it, there was no one to throw that. <laughs> but, but now it's time to go over to the men's 100 yards where the Russian champion has apparently already made one full start.
That'll teach the swine to make false starts in our country. Now it's time for the pole vault where I can see the British champion, M. Pale, at the beginning of the run-up, nervously twisting the pole in his hand, which is a little unsporting as the pole is at present in second place. The, the, Amer the American champion retired after his first jump when he crashed against one of the uprights. This, of course, is one of the big problems that has to be overcome by all cross-eyed pole vaulters. <laughs> but now, here comes the British champion on his run-up. Up he goes. Up, 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 up. Good heavens, he's not coming down. What a shame, because if he doesn't come down, he'll be disqualified. What a pity. Well, back to the studio and you, Eamon. Well, thank you, Norris McSquirter. One might say things are jumping at the White City. Or again, one might not. And now, motor racing at Brands Hatch, where there's a terrific pistol for the leadership in this afternoon's championship race. So let's go over right away to the snooker championship in the Drill Hall, Bolton. And the news here is that Joe Mavis has just pocketed a red, but they're making him put, the, put it back on the table, and now he's going to pot. <laughs> well, he's over 70. <laughs> Joe has chosen his color. He's, he's going to pot the pink. He's potted the pink, and that should have come up nicely with the daffodil. Down goes the pink, and the white ball has gone right round the table and is resting on a cushion. And I'm not surprised. It must be jolly tired. <laughs> Joe is queuing up once more. It's always crowded here on Saturdays. And he's... He's cut the last red, which means he's now on the green. So he takes his putter and thinks the pot. <laughs> uh, Joe is now walking round the table, picking his next shot, and the pockets of the people sitting round the table, <laughs> and his nose. So back to Eamon Liversault in the World of Sports studio. Thank you, David. And now over to Tim Brown-Windsor in Wimbledon. Hello, here I am in Wimbledon. I don't know why, so back to the studio. <laughs> Thank you, Tim. He's been muddled ever since he discovered that badminton was famous for show jumping. But now it's time to go to Farnborough for the air show. Your commentator there, Willie Art. Well, thank you, Eamon, and the news here is that the planes have been taken from the hangars and pressed. <laughs> and, of course, those supersonic bangs you can do here are balloons. But before I describe for you the display and the flypast, I'd like you to meet a real card. Mr. Jack Queen, King Ace Pilot of the Last War. Now, Jack, you're an aviation veteran. What was your first job? Uh, blowing up balloons. For flying? No, for Christmas. <laughs> Mr. Jack Queen is a joker. Yes, as I used to pump up balloons, and then we practiced ascents and descents until I got fed up with it. And where was that? Well, I didn't see descents in it. <laughs> so I got out. Unfortunately, we were up at the time, and I had a bad fall. It was quite extraordinary. Everything went black, so I was put on night flying. Jack, tell me, who would you say is the real veteran of the air? Oh, Peter Haig. The baby must break off there as the flypast is just beginning, and yes, here comes the first plane. Yes, it's a Spitfire. <laughs> and with that, back to the studio. Well, you might say things are really flying at Farnborough. No, even I wouldn't say a stupid thing like that. Oh, I don't know, though. <laughs> but finally, this afternoon, it's wrestling, and over now to Spent Wilson. 
Now, welcome to Postman Town Hall. We have an interesting heavyweight contest for you this afternoon. Just getting into the ring in the red corner is the man you love to hate to love. Panther Bottomley, the Russian Nazi Chinaman from Mars. And climbing into the blue corner is David Crumble, and his friend here is Apple. The popular local boy who was born right here in Portsmouth. I know last week up in Boodle, David told me that he was born in Boodle, but he now tells me this was a deliberate lie. A lot of people write to me, not only because I'm a popular person, but also to say that wrestling is fixed. Well, the short answer to that is, please don't spread it around or I may lose my job. Ah, time for the first round. Both wrestlers are talking around each other, and they leap. And there's a beautiful body lock there for a half Nelson into the Boston Crab, a high lift, and crash down onto the canvas. So much for the referee. The panther bottomy is just checking with his seconds. He tells me, incidentally, he always uses seconds with us so much cheaper. And it's on with the fight proper. The panther grabs Crumble's left arm as Crumble grabs his waist. Good heavens. They're dancing. Yes, they're dancing. But there's no stopping this boy, and they're completely mixed up. The, the referee's going to separate them. Oh, dear. He's caught up, too. And the fat lady in the front row. They're all tied up with the most fantastic knock. Uh, and there goes the bell for the end of a sensational fight. But before I hand you back to Weymouth, the management here of Alfred the Fair says, any boy scouts looking, you don't think they recognize the knock, will they please contact the Portsmouth Town Hall as soon as possible. Amen. Well, and that's all from us for this afternoon. Next week, of course, is the Rugby League International Final at Wembley and the fight of the year, the World Heavyweight Champions at Bout. So I should go out and see that rather than what the boring, loadable rubbish we'll be showing. Goodbye. <laughs> and the Angus Prune tune blaring through your transistors brings to an end another edition of I'm Sorry, I'll Read That Again. The voices you heard were those of Timbrook Taylor, John Cleese, Graham Garden, David Hatch, Joe Kendall, and Bilotti. The scripts were by Timbrook Taylor, David Hatch, Alan Hutchison, Eric Idle, and Bilotti, and not John Cleese, who sold all his to television. <laughs> the music was by Dave Lee, with arrangements by Leon Cohen, and the songs by Bilotti. The show was produced by Humphrey Barclay, who was said last night to be comfortable. <laughs> so that's it until the same time next week, when John Otto Cleese will once again whisper seductively into your ear... You've got the grubbiest ear I've ever seen. <laughs>